Grow Dialogue podcast is a liberation project that explores equity, inclusion, belonging, conflict resolution, and culture in the workplace and beyond, including in our personal relationships, families, and communities. Each week, my co-host, Mariella Marie, and I will bring you insightful guest interviews and artistic expressions curated to amplify emerging voices who are sharing practices that support society's transition to a more collaborative, just, sustainable, and liberating coexistence. We live during a time when divisiveness and polarization dominate the social, economic, and political discourse. In response to this reality, and empowered with the skills of authentic dialogue and systems thinking, I created an anti-oppression framework for social sustainability called Theory of Indivisibility to help illuminate a different path forward. Our hope is that these conversations and calls to action will ignite tolerance and empathy and provide guidance for our global listeners who want to actively engage in ending all forms of oppression while creating thriving relationships in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. Let's grow dialogue. All right. What's good? Ashley Page, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. And you're welcome. You're very welcome. How are you? I am doing well. Really excited. You're one of the first interviews to kick off this new uh, Grow Dialogue podcast. So, you know, really excited about that. And, um, you know, just for our listeners to know, we go way back to high school, uh, Central High School in Philadelphia, class of 256. And um, we both reside in the uh, metro Atlanta area. So, uh, just, just really excited to kind of introduce our, our audience to you, and um, you know, have them learn more about you, your background, as well as your, you know, the things you've learned in your in your journey through corporate. Um, so, you know, to start to get things kicked off, I want to ask you a general question about who you are personally. How do you define yourself? How would you answer that question? Ooh, wow. Okay. Well, first, you know, thank you again for inviting me here. Um, It truly is an honor to be here and and to be able to catch up with you and be a part of this project. Um, Before I start answering questions, I do have to say that the opinions I express here are my own and do not necessarily reflect those of the company I work for or any other organizations. Um, Now let's get down to business. How would I define myself? well, there's a couple of ways I can answer that, right? Like, you know, I can, I can think about the different roles that I have in my life, right? I am a mom. I am a sister and a friend. Um, I'm an attorney. I am a manager and a leader. Um, but then when I think about who I really am at my core, um, I am a person who's infinitely curious. I am a person who is open-minded, practical, incredibly generous, and incredibly motivated. That's how I would describe me. Awesome, awesome. Love those descriptors. Okay, so who are you professionally? Who am I professionally? Yes, how would you define that? Um, Like I said, I'm an attorney. I am currently Senior Vice President, Deputy General Counsel, and Chief Compliance Officer at Endeavor. Um, We are a large sports, entertainment, media, fashion 
content uh, holding company. Um, so a lot of people are not familiar with the Endeavor brand itself, but um, many people are familiar with the brands that we own and operate. We own WME Talent Agency, UFC, Professional Bull Riders, IMG, including all IMG properties. Um, Miss Universe, Freeze Art Festival, um, among many, many other things. Um, I've been in this role a little over a year. Um, my background is in general IP transactional work. I spent several years as general counsel for Learfield, which is the top college sports marketing um, sponsorship and licensing company in the country. Um, but other than that, what I would say is, again, someone who's infinitely curious, right? Always looking to learn new things. Definitely being in a first-time compliance-focused role has been a very interesting challenge for me. Um, I am a very authentic leader. I authentic Authenticity and being able to bring my whole self to work every day and fostering an environment on my team where the people who work for me can do the same is deeply important to me. And, and I believe it's essential to why I've been so successful in my career. Um, yeah, and I would say that I am, again, practical. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very practical attorney and very practical kind of thinker in general, definitely on, on the professional side, even more so than the personal side. Um, and I'm a compassionate corporate leader, um, which I think is incredibly important as well. It really is, it really is. And you're, based on everything you shared, I'm sure that people that have had a privilege to work with you and for you have, have benefited greatly from all those you know, characteristics that you just explained. And especially the part about being an authentic leader, um, you know, and that's a part of the work that we do at Grow Dialogue is uh, one, of, one of my specialties in the world is, is doing a training around a concept called Authentic Dialogue, uh, which is a communication, a communication framework, um, you know, for resolving conflict and making decisions collaboratively and, um, you know, together and authentically. So uh, I love hearing it. I love that you, 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 include, you include authenticity in everything you do. Um, so, and it sounds like you've had a very, very uh, interesting journey uh, in your corporate, you know, uh, endeavors, and you happen to work for uh, that company now, uh, titled that, that has a vast range of, as you said, holdings. Um, so before we get a little bit deeper into uh, some of what you've learned in the corporate space and how it aligns to our mission for this podcast, um, I want to ask you another question about, are you able to share a story that has inspired you or your work, because a lot of what we're doing with this podcast is going to be around stories. And so can you think of, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, uh, but could you think of a story, again, that has inspired you? It can be a, it can be something that's inspired you personally to become all the things that you've expressed that you are um, and or, you know, professionally. Wow, that's a great question. Um, a story that has inspired me. You know, I recently watched King Richard um and i know i'm late but um this has been out forever but I, i've always been I'm a, I'm a huge tennis fan um and i've always been fascinated and motivated by the williams sisters and everything that they've accomplished and especially i mean as tremendous as their accomplishments are like it's doing it in the face of you know almost constant like negativity and just hate you know um they, they face so much of it um, for things that, you know, black women, 
especially, you know, black women in corporate spaces, you know, are used to are used to getting flack about too, like our hair and our bodies and, you know, like things like that. But, you know, watching the movie and really having that insight into their father's vision for them and, you know, the connection, um, you know, among their family and, and you know, how, how he guided them. I would say their story, you know, because it's, you know, they, they overcame so many different odds and obstacles and they did it with, by maintaining their focus and their focus was on family and on each other. Um, and I, I try to, I try my best to center family in my life and I try to encourage, you know, the people who work for me to do the same thing. Um, and I guess you could call it a corporate culture strategy if you want to. Um, because part of why part of why I do it is because you know everyone has everyone has some level of family or friends that are important to them in a community that that means something to them um, outside of work and you know when you when you connect with people in a way that makes them feel like you see that and you see them and you see that there's more to them than what they bring to work every day in the world that is work and you allow them to bring that into that world um it just you get happier healthier more productive employees um but you know it's it's also just the right the right way to manage and the right way to think about management um which is you know why it's why it's always been a part of how i operate that was a great movie um you know i gleaned a lot of the same things from it so i, I find it cool that you chose that as a story that has inspired you recently and i imagine that the story has probably inspired you as a tennis fan uh, for a long time because you've known it intimately. Um, so I guess I, I, I want, I'm just curious. So from watching the movie, would you say that it filled in a lot of gaps or is it was it a story that you pretty much knew all those themes, themes and arcs and they had been kind of inspiring you through all through the years or was it something more about just the movie and the way it was presented to you? I think it was, I mean, you've, I had heard over the years, you know, that I knew that their father had, had started out training them. Um, and, you know, I knew that they were from, you know, South LA and, you know, that they had, they had come from, you know, meager beginnings um, financially to, you know, transcend to where they are. Tennis is a seriously expensive sport. Um, but, you know, it, there's a difference between knowing that and, you know, imagining in your mind, you know, the steps that one has to take to, to you know, chart that course and actually, you know, watching it in the way it was put together in the film, sure. you know? And I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say in the back of my mind somewhere, you know, you know that dedication and focus and commitment um, and belief in yourself are things that you have to have to be successful. But when you watch those themes and concepts tied together in the way that they were in that movie, um, and with in, in the context of such a public um, and high success story, you know, it, it really does bring it to the forefront of your mind and help it resonate with you in a different way. And that's what it did for me. Indeed, that makes sense. Okay, so um, let's go into your personal journey a little bit uh, deeper here. So when did you get clarity on the person that you were meant to be personally and professionally? Oh, wow. Um, okay, so I don't know 
that I have complete clarity over the person that I'm meant to be personally or professionally or who I am personally or professionally. You know, I've been through a lot of transition um, in the past two years, um, you know, personally and professionally, right? Like I went through, you know, a merger with, you know, Learfield and, you know, my role changed and now I'm back at the Endeavor level, a corporate level in a compliance role, which is a completely new function for me and leading a global team. Um, so, you know, there's, there's been a lot of growth in that, a lot of learning and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to really try to think through you know, what it is I want to do professionally. Um, and I'm realizing that even outside of the law, I have, you know, talents and interests um, in content creation. I'm working on a book um, that'll be coming out in uh, early 2023. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I'm just starting to kind of piece together who I want to be professionally and starting to see myself in the context of a professional is not just a legal professional, right? But with other tapping into some of my other interests and talents, which is something that, you know, I've, I've never really taken time to do. Um, and I, so I think there's much more learning and clarity to come for me when it comes to professionally. Um, and the, the same is true personally. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a single mom now. I have two kids, 14 and 10. Um, and over the past two years, went through an awful divorce, um, which culminated in the unfortunate suicide of my ex-husband and my kid's father. So, you know, through all of that, I've, I've dealt with things that I never thought I would have to face, things that if I had been able to conceive of them in my mind, before facing them, I would have thought I would never be able to survive. Um, and I have survived it. And I'm trying my best to lead two young humans through it as well. So, you know, I'm learning and the age that my children are at, right? They're changing every day. They're figuring out who they are. I mean, you're a parent, so then you know, one of the coolest things about being a parent is all the things that your child teaches you about yourself right um so my kids teach me new things every day about me um as they're learning about themselves so you know i would definitely describe myself personally and professionally in being in very much um an exploratory and defining phase um as i'm kind of rebuilding these different aspects of my life and deeply dedicated into building it rebuilding them in a way that gives me the life that i truly want so much there, so much there. Thank you for sharing that. So candidly, uh, vulnerably, um, you know, as someone ha who's had the, the privilege of following you on social, I know that you've candidly and transparently shared a lot of your story and your journey, um, as I've done as well. And I'm sure you've seen bits and pieces of my story. Um, well, I don't know, the algorithm is weird. Maybe you haven't, but um, I've seen yours and I, cause I've shared a lot about my divorce, you know, that I went through and the reasons why, et cetera. So I, that resonates. And, um, you know, I can't imagine, you know, I haven't had to deal with, you know, obviously my co-parent um, not being here to, to be supportive and in, in co-raising these children. Um, so for you have to, having to do that and, and the, from what's the manner that caused it to happen and all of that with your children, oh, man, I can't, I just can't imagine, you know, I, I can't imagine. Um, and through it all, you know, you're still 
again, from outside looking in, and I, don't, I know we only get a small glimpse. You seem to do it with such, you know, power and grace. And, um, you know, Thank you. my my hat's off to you. I don't wear a hat, so I'll say my lock's off to you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I definitely recognize and, you know, uh, admire you for that. Um, oh, and I wanted to say, too, I appreciate the the story of evolution that you you gave us, you know, your explanation about getting clarity, um, because it's not, life isn't a destination, right? It's a journey. And, um, you know, so I appreciate you bringing that context and nuance to this discussion. Um, so I guess I want to take us back though, to maybe, <clears throat> you know, teenage years, your youth, and when you had a vision for who you wanted to be personally and professionally. Um, so you're a lawyer, and um, you know, you're a mom and you've, you've a lot of things in between. Is there any point in your life where you set that goal of being those things? Um, and what, 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 what pulled you in that direction? Was it any influences in your life, uh, anything you saw in the world where you said, you know what, this is, this is what I wanna do when I, when I get older? Yeah. This is what I wanna be. Yes. Um, and it's interesting you asked me that because I was just working through, you know, some of the chapters in my book that, that are about that part of my life. My book is a memoir. Um, so what I would say, so first, I come from a very, very long line of strong, incredible Black women and Black mothers. So I've known for as long as I can remember that I wanted to be a mother. Um, in terms of being a lawyer, you know, it's funny, like even before I started thinking about what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do professionally, you know, for me, it was about meeting expectations of excellence, right? And there were certain things that were considered excellence, lawyers, doctors, you know, things like that, right? And for me, honestly, the way that I looked at my academic journey and my career journey for a long time, but particularly in the early years, was more about where identifying where my strengths were um, and pursuing a path that led to excellence through that route, right? So I chose law school and the, the legal profession because people always told me I was very good at arguing and a great communicator. And, you know, I watched the Cosby show and Law and Order and that shit seemed cool. You know, like that's, that's really, that's really how I got there. And then when I was at Spelman, you know, I remember, um, I remember when I took the LSATs, which I took as a junior because I had come home the summer between sophomore and junior year. And I told my parents I changed my major from econ to history. Um, and they were all about econ because they wanted me to major in something practical, like major in biology and go to medical school. I'm like, that's never happening. Um, so I chose econ because it felt like business. You know, I was majoring in business. Um, but my, I was passionate about history. I love history. Um, so I changed my major and they were like, well, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, I'm going to law school. 
right? So my dad was like, okay, well then you will take an LSAT prep course this this summer and sit for the LSAT in September since you say you're serious. So I took it as a junior and I remember when I got my scores back and I went to see Dr. Marilyn Davis at Spelman. She was the, she was my poli-sci professor, but she was also the pre-law advisor for Spelman students. And she looked at my grades and she looked at my scores and she said, so where do you want to go? And I said, you know, I think I want to go to Boston University. And she said, why? And I said, well, they've been sending me all these, you know, brochures and materials since, you know, I took the LSAT and I don't know, Boston looks nice. It's all leafy green, you know, and fall foliage and it looks nice, right? Cool. Um, and, it's, and it's a good school. And she looked at me in my eyes and she said, with, if you like Boston, with these scores and these grades, you can go to Harvard. And I said, no, I can't, you can't be serious. And she said, I'm serious. And she was serious and she was right. So, you know, then it became, okay, well, this is like a really prestigious thing. And like, this is excellent, right? Because we're pursuing excellence. And this is something super respectable that I can tell all my peers and my parents. And, you know, never mind that I'm about to borrow a mortgage to be able to go. Like, this is awesome, right? So, like, that kind of thinking, like, that was how I made a lot of my decisions. Um, and then once I actually got into the practice of law, I realized it wasn't any of what I thought it was. Um, but again, like, I'm, I'm a very practical person. Like, who knows what my career path would be I gotten out and my, where I would be now if I'd gotten out of the law, you know, when I realized it wasn't what I thought it was. But for me, I had charted this path. I borrowed this money. You know, I had this whole career now. Like, I got to make it work, right? Like, I'm not going to throw that away. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's when I decided I wanted to focus on sports and trying to get into sports and entertainment because that's something I'm really passionate about and love and have my whole life. Um, and, you know, I just, that's when I decided to go that way. But again, it's, it's always been about, you know, building on, building on the blocks that I've set. And my focus for a long time was really on excellence and meeting expectations and being a high achiever more so than it was about really tapping into what I was really passionate about and what I really would enjoy doing. Oh my goodness, that story is so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know how it is, right? Like, especially, you know, like, we're both from Philly and we went to school together. So you, like, you really understand this, right? Like, coming from Greenfield to Central, like, the idea that we were supposed to achieve, we were the best of the best, right? And that we were supposed to achieve certain things. And, you know, all the conversations with classmates about where are you going to college and what are you going to do and what are you going to be? Like, it's, that's, that was just the mindset, right? And, you know, it's, 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 it drove my, my career path and decision making for a very long time. Oh my goodness. Again, so relatable, especially the part about having taken out, you know, a mortgage worth of loans that's that's you know for me to become dr sunjata which by the way uh ashley calls me scott because that's my uh given name the people who know me through girl dialogue know me as sunjata sunjata which is my chosen name uh which i changed in 2018 uh changed to in 2018 but my my given name is scott speed and, and that's how ashley met me and I'm sorry, I knew about the name change. It's just, you know, when you know somebody forever, like. <laughs> I get it, I get it. 
it feels like right especially you know we haven't you haven't greeted me like in person for forever it's like i'm scott to you i get it and i and i and it's okay when people who know me from way back call me scott i answer <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely still answer but um again yeah you know that whole excellence thing that's why i wanted to be doctor back in the day it was dr scott speed you know i come from a family of educators and education was always you know at the forefront of like we got to achieve and no one in my family had gone on a lot of folks had gotten master's degrees, but no one had gotten a doctorate degree. So I decided a long time ago, you know, that'd be cool, you know, kind of, you know, on that excellence ladder, right? You know, it'd be cool to be Dr. Scott Speed one day. And I literally initially wanted to do it just for the, the excellence behind it and the prestige behind having, you know, being doctor somebody. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but I won't go into like how I feel about it now, you know, maybe I'll, I'll share that with my, my listeners some other time, but <sighs> man, I, uh, Again, so relatable, so relatable. Yeah. Um, so, okay, my next question, and thank you for sharing that. Um, hmm. Do you feel like you have to wear a mask currently in your life, personally um, or professionally? Do you feel like you 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 have to wear a mask? Ooh, you oh, and let me and before you answer, I'll 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 say this because again, I know you gave the um the disclaimer up front you can simply answer yes or no or if you feel comfortable you can share why but you don't have to well thank you thank you <laughs> um no but i did for a long time both personally and professionally right so let's take the professional first okay. like uh, this is not like this is not unique to me in the professional context right like code switching and you know all of that you know, like that whole concept of changing your language changing the way you might dress or you know just the the way you the way you carry yourself um at work because you don't feel comfortable bringing that part of your blackness to work right feeling like you have to wear your hair a certain way or not a certain way, right? Because because you feel like it may hold you back in your career. Um, having to feign interest in things you have no interest in to try to make connections with people at work because the only way to get the good deals to work on or get the promotion that you're looking for is if you can build a relationship with this group of white men that talk about nothing other than golf and so you have to, and have no and show no interest in actually getting to know you and making some sort of connection with you so you've got to you know change how you how you communicate in social circles with them to try to bridge that gap for yourself right like these are all things that you know black people who work in corporate america know well right so you know when i say i'm an authentic leader and that that is a core you know element of of how i manage and how i lead i can't sit here and pretend that i was always that way um and i i admire people like my daughter actually comes to mind my 10 year old daughter who seems to have such a strong sense of who she is and brings exactly who she is and shows up exactly as herself in every room in every scenario i admire people who got that and get that early um because for me it's it was a progression it was an evolution right um to realizing that 
bringing my authentic self to work every day was not only going to help free so much stress for me, that it was going to make other people who look like me more comfortable doing it too. That moment came for me when I first came to in my previous role at the GC for um, RMG College because, you know, it, it was my most senior role at that point in my career. And there were only a handful of black women in the office. And I started noticing little things that as I started wearing, you know, my natural hair and, you know, wearing doing certain like they started doing it too. And it was just a subtle thing, but it made me realize that, you know, I was I was in a position to empower others with how with how I was I was moving right and it made me realize okay not only do you owe it to yourself to start bringing your authentic self to work every day and take this mask off you owe it to your peers right you owe it to your peers um what I will say personally um you know for a very long time you know, I was going through a lot of things in my personal life that I didn't talk about, even with some of my closest friends and family, um, because I felt like I had this perfect image that I had to maintain. You know, like I had this hands, I went to Spelman and I had this handsome warehouse man for a husband and we had these two beautiful kids, a boy and a girl, and I had this successful career and so did he. And we were this, you know, perfect little Atlanta power couple, black power couple. Um, but in reality, you know, there were a lot of things going on beneath the surface. And, you know, in trying to keep up that mask, um, you know, it, it really breeded a lot of shame, you know? And the thing about shame is it makes you feel like things that you're going through, like you're the only one, right? And, you know, that's never the case, right? In reality, everybody is going through something, right? Um, and so, you know, everything that I went through, you know, and eventually like the mask was like ripped off, you know, there, there were many elements of things that went on, you know, in my personal life that became very public in ways that I never would have wanted, which made it that much harder and that much more excruciating to go through what I was going through, what we were going through. And, you know, it, it was like, at that point, it's like, okay, the mask is off, right? Like, do I really want to put it back on, you know, and ever? And the answer is no, right? And again, you know, just like I said about the professional side, like in my personal life, I've realized that being open and honest about experiences I've had, things I've been through, you know, things I've, I've been, I was feeling as I was going through certain things, that being open and being transparent and being my authentic self in my personal life, um, again, inspires and empowers others and makes them feel seen. That's the whole reason I'm writing the book, you know, um, because I've, I've, I've told elements of my story um, to so many different people who have been so touched by it and so just made them feel so connected, right? And that they, and, and not alone, if that yeah. makes sense. So, you know, and that's, at the end of the day, that's what leading and being a good human is all about. Indeed, indeed. Ooh. Again, great shares, great insights. 
so much is relatable. I can't wait to connect personally so we can go a little deeper, but we don't have time to do that here. So <laughs> I'm gonna keep it pushing. Um, wow, but thank you for sharing uh, all of that and your journey. And I mean, I, I guess it's no mistake we're around, we, we are the same age and kind of been on a similar trajectory. So it's resonating with me so much. Um, so let's jump into corporate culture. All right, so you, you talked about you know, the code switching um, elements and how you eventually evolved away from the desire to, or feeling the need or desire to do it. Um, and it was evolution. And I also appreciate how you recognize in your, in your daughter, how she's able to show up that way now. And I gotta imagine that based on your experience, um, you're able to encourage her and empower her uh, to, to, to stay in that, you know, so that she doesn't have to go through that journey uh, that you went through to like unlearning some things or feeling empowered in yourself over time. Um, so I'm, I'm so excited for the next generation. So generally, what do you think corporate America's role should be in the struggle uh, to end oppression in all forms? And I wanna give you some context on why I asked that that way. I've noticed that in the current climate um, since 2020, especially after George Floyd, there was a huge, huge shift in corporate culture around acknowledging, accepting uh, the fact that there needs to be changes. Um, and marginalized voices had more space than they had ever had before. Granted, there's been movements or let's say initiatives around diversity, equity, inclusion, et cetera, for many years prior to 2020. But what I've noticed is that since 2020, it's something that <clears throat> every organization was held accountable to address. And so for me, as someone who straddles different worlds, you know, I straddle the corporate world through my consulting work, but I also do a lot of anti-oppression work in grassroots spaces. And so I, I wonder, um, you know, again, what do you think corporate America's role should be? So that's a, uh... That's a hard question to unpack because, you know, on the one hand, I could say, you know, it depends on the corporate, it depends on the corporation, right? Like, I certainly think um, that there are organizations and companies out there that either because of the products they make, because of the demographic of their employees or their primary customer base or both, um, that they have a heightened and different set of obligations um, that I would say. Um, but more generally, I think, the, put it this way, I think the biggest thing that any corporation can do, right, and should be doing is looking inward and focusing on the experiences of historically oppressed groups within their employee base and making sure that their teams and organizations are not only diverse, but equitable. Like, I think people sometimes forget what the E and the I, the E and the I and DEI. Like people, so many, so many organizations start focusing on hiring mm -hmm. and they forget about the equitable and the inclusive part, right? And inclusion really does tie into culture um you know and the other thing i think a lot of corporations get wrong in this area um is I, I think there are too many organizations that aren't really focusing deliberately 
um, and systematically on their culture, right? And putting proper resources into cultivating the culture that they want. And I, I tell people, like, I think of, I think of corporate culture, like I think about my lawn, right? Like if I want it to be green and lush and uniform, consistent, healthy, I've got to work at that. I've got to water it. I've got to feed it. I've got to nurture it. I've got to cultivate it into what I want, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't do that, I will still have a front lawn, but I'm going to get what I get. I'm going to get some pockets of beautiful wildflowers that manage to sprout in parts of the yard. I'm going to get some patches of dandelions. I'm going to get some stinkweed and I'm going to get some spots that are just brown and dead right um and that's what that's what tends to happen particularly in larger organizations where they aren't focusing deliberately intentionally on cultivating a certain culture um and that is key cultivating the right culture is key to creating an inclusive and equitable work environment right um so i think a lot of organizations you know george floyd's murder you know and in their haste to jump on trend, right? Frankly, I, I think, I don't want to make it seem like I think, you know, all of the corporate efforts are disingenuous um, or disingenuous or any of them are disingenuous. Disingenuous isn't the right word. It's, I definitely think part of it is it became very on trend and it, it became a, well, we, we have to say something. And so we're going to we're going to hurry up and jump in and we're going to we're going to try to throw throw some programs together internally and we're going to issue some corporate statements and we're going to do this and we're going to do that we're going to hold town halls and talk to all our black employees about their feelings and you know we're going to do things like that you know without really thinking carefully about what we should be doing right and what is really needed um you know but i think you know they jumped into those things on top of that without really focusing on the basics of their own culture and focusing on the experiences of their own employees in a meaningful way. Um, aside from that, you know, how corporations spend their dollars, you know, where they spend them, how they spend them can impact, you know, the experiences of oppressed groups for sure. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, certain organizations and, and companies that are catering to you know certain demographics or you know particularly like I, I was on a panel what a couple months ago about the intersection of sports and social justice for the American Bar Association and we talked about the sports leagues right and you know things like you know everything from the NBA moving the all-star game out of Charlotte over the transgender bathroom law you know to MLB moving the all-star game out of Atlanta over our voter over our voting laws you know it's you know, whether these organizations should be doing that, right? And, you know, from my perspective, like if you take an organization like the NBA that is primarily made up of primarily black players um, and has a huge black fan base, yeah, I think you should be wading into social, into those social justice issues, you know, because and using using the weight of the NBA to advance those causes um, for the if, if if for no other reason than because of because you you are a beneficiary of the support of these communities, right? Like they are the lifeblood of your, that's the lifeblood of your product, right? right. So, you know, that's why I said, you know, when you look at organizations like that, like that, that's not, it's not necessarily corporate, but when you look at organizations like that, like, I think you have a different level of responsibility than, you know, a corporation that, that has a bit more varied of a demographic and employee base. 
Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, you you know so many things and you obviously have such a unique perspective based on your background and your history with this. Um, and I also appreciate what you stated around, you know, where corporations are because we run into that, um, you know, grow with, with our work at Grow Dialogue. I like to say that corporations are in that 1.0, I, I call it DEI 1.0 phase. And what you explain and the work that we do, that deep work, that culture work is what I like to call DEI 2.0. Um, and, you know, that, that 2.0 work is all about behavior change. It's about creating processes um, to really, you know, change behavior that's gonna shift culture. Um, and what I've, what I've been learning out there is that a lot of organizations aren't necessarily willing to put, carve out the time necessary to, to, to nurture their lawn, using the analogy that you gave, in the ways that, you know, are needed because it takes consistency. You know, once you cut it, it's gonna grow back. It's not a one-time thing. It's not hiring, you know, someone to come in and do a feel-good speech or to do a talk or have a round table. We have to nurture our grass weekly, you know, with the cutting and the pruning and the fertilizing and the et cetera. And that's what it takes, like you said, to shift culture uh, in ways that will be equitable and inclusive. Um, so yes, <laughs> with, with that in mind, what would you say, um, or let me ask, what is your vision of the future as it relates to corporate culture? Oh, wow. That's a heavy question. My vision of the future. Um, are you asking that in terms of what I want to see? Are you asking that in terms of what I think we're going to get? I want both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, what I would like to see. I'll tell you this. Um, I think that one of the silver linings of the pandemic has been the shift in perspective, corporate perspectives on remote and hybrid work arrangements. Um, I think that there's a lot of benefit. I mean, certainly me as a single working mom definitely appreciates, you know, the, the additional flexibility. Um, but I think beyond that, you know, I, I think it's going to allow for, you know, better, better ways to target you know, content to, to employee bases, right? So, you know, things that were logistically more challenging before, particularly in larger organizations like Endeavor is so spread out, right? Like as, you know, when we, some of the challenges I've had to think through previously in terms of trainings and things like that, like are, you know, do we, can, do we have the budget to go to all these different offices and do all these different things? Like now, you know, there's so much more that you can do virtually. Um, and I think there are there are a lot of ways there will be a lot of ways to build on that and and do more with you know like you said behavior shifting content and and training. Um, I think that I think that the the DEI wave, waves are here to stay um, because I, I think more and more you know businesses are realizing that you know, they're not gonna be able to continue to grow from an economic perspective in the way they wanna grow without diverse teams. Um, and, you know, I wish I could say that I believe that, you know, we're going in that direction for the moral reasons of it, but, you know, the, the economic, there are economic, significant economic benefits to um, 
to having legit DEI initiatives and practices and, and building diverse teams. Um, you know, and that is my vision, right? That we get to a place where just the workplace is, is more free, meaning people feel more free being themselves at work, right? And people feel like, like they can focus on the work and not so much on, you know, all of the politics and stress that comes from, you know, not feeling included in that way. Um, I would like to see, you know, the remote hybrid work arrangements stay. I, I think they're here to stay, you know, regardless. Um, but I think it's important, like when you think about, you know, again, working parents, um, when you think about, you know, things like, like I worked at Google for several years and they had a significant and continue to have significant DEI challenges. And, you know, when I was there, there was this mentality that, you know, everyone had to be based in Mountain View to advance beyond a certain point, especially for, mo for most teams, certainly the legal team. And, you know, when you really think about like the, the struggle to diversify the tech industry, you know, I think the miss, the miss certainly I think for the black community is not understanding, you know, the different experience that we have living out there in the Bay. I lived out there for two years, you know, and I mean, there were things I loved about it, but there were definitely challenges. Um, and there's a very, 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 very small and limited black community out there. And, you know, like for a, for a lot of us, we need to feel part of a supportive, larger community. Like we need things to be easy, like finding bar good barbers and good wings and, you know, things that things that are comforts of home that we need, right? Um, and I always felt like that was a miss, right? And especially with respect to our community and them not understanding that if you would allow more advancement opportunities for, you know, African-American employees, to be based in, you know, your Atlanta office or your New York office or you know other places, um, you might you might get more retention, right? Um, but I think you know, and I and I don't think that's that's just one example, but I think there's a lot of examples like that, you know, that have made it harder for some of these companies to to really you know diversify in the way that they need to, and I think the remote flexible work arrangements will help with a lot of that. So I appreciate that. And so to close it out with my final question, you said that ultimately you would like to see corporate America be more free. Do you think that could be a, ve a vehicle for freedom in households and in communities and ultimately in nations based on people being able to be free at work? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, the concept of inclusivity and feeling free and comfortable, you know, to be your authentic self, you know, I, it's, it's the kind of transformation and experience, um, that shifts in how shifts, how you deal with relationships outside of the workplace too. Right. So if, if you're feeling more comfortable in your own skin at work, right, then you know, when you go out into the world outside of work, I think, I think, and I hope the way that it would work is that you would be, you would feel more empowered to make other people feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that, that's how I would like to think yeah. the human mind works. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I 
these are things that I think about, you know, in process, like, you know, does it start in homes and communities and trickle into the workplace or vice versa in the way that we're talking about it? And I imagine it's probably a combination and it's happening in different ways in all these contexts. But, um, you know, I definitely appreciate, you know, the, 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 the heightened level of awareness, you know, today in corporate spaces. I appreciate, you know, the fact that people like you are in positions of, of influence in the ways that you are and you're bringing these thoughts and these perspectives. And I believe it's definitely making a difference. And um, it's definitely, you know, the people through, under your leadership, um, you know, I, I think can't, they can't help but have it trickle into their lives and how they show up, you know, in their personal relationships in some way. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sharing these insights. Thank you for agreeing to be here. I know you're hella busy. Um, so I, I really appreciate it. And um, again, really looking forward to connecting personally so we can go deeper. And um, but before we close, is there any way that you would like to share for people to connect with you uh, beyond this podcast? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I people reach out to me there all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. OK, cool. So we'll include your, your the link to your LinkedIn page um, in the show notes. And um, you know, again, thank you so much for being here, Ashley. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until next time, I love y'all. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Dialogue podcast. Remember to join our Grow Dialogue community to continue the conversation, activate authentic dialogue, and to get exclusive content, discounts, and special offers on curated artwork and music from independent artists from the Americas. Check out our show notes for more info and visit www.growdialogue.com to join our live events. Don't forget to support us on Patreon. We really appreciate your support.